Everybody. Hello. Welcome to Ray to Bay Recreate. I'm Sammy Purcell. And I'm Logan Keller. We're back for episode six of Woo! season three. We're more than halfway through this season. It's crazy. Yeah, if you didn't know, I think we already said this. We're only doing 10 this season. You know, just made it a little easier on us. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah, so we're not- like, I had the realization that I, I, I feel like we may have already had this conversation, so apologies mm. to our audience if we did, but <laughs> I had the realization after season two, where if we, we did two seasons with 16 episodes, and both talking about two shows an episode, like, we talked about 64 musicals, and musicals. yeah, and like, we want something past season three, so <laughs> we can't exhaust all our options. <laughs> That's true. We want to keep doing this. So, we, yeah. you know, 20 is enough, I think. Yeah. I think so, too. Are, yeah. Um, Logan. Yes, Sammy. Do you agree with the adage, out with the old and in with the new? Or no? What Absolutely, do you think? Absolutely, I agree with that <laughs> adage. Look, let me just, like, this is a known bias that I, I may have discussed before, but, like, a bias that I'm fully willing to admit that I have is I, like, really, really struggle with not just musicals, with all media, with books, with movies, TV, with anything that's, like, significantly in the past. And significantly, it doesn't even have to mean that far ago for me. <laughs> like, it's, like, five minutes ago. Like, honestly, <laughs> 70s is is pushing it for me. <laughs> like, oh, again. But, like, it, it sucks because I, I even feel this way about, like, like, even, like, Game of Thrones. Like, that's not even real time, but, like, it's, it's like, it's mythical fake. era. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, the Middle Ages, and I can't But, can't you know, people were sexist even in the fake world, so... Exactly. I just am, like, maybe it's because I... <clears throat> maybe it's because I am... I barely even, like, this world that we live in, like, progress-wise, sure. that, like, yeah. anything that reverts before, I'm, like, over it. But it's it's really hard for me to do. I'm actually really proud of myself because... But I've been watching A League of Our Own, the, like the remake series so um, with Abby Jacobson. Okay, it's because it's like super queer, but like yeah. it is incredible. Also, they don't talk like they're from the 40s. They're like, girl, Yeah, it doesn't slay. feel like a 40s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, queen. Yeah. <laughs> so like that I can do, but <sighs> it's hard. The past is hard for me. I really can't come to terms with it. I think that's fair. I disagree though i, know I love you do. old stuff i love I know. Old movies i love all musicals um i really i don't know i think especially with movies but i think this is like kind of across all different forms of art as well i feel like a lot of the times people had to like try harder to be mm like progressive or to do different things and like especially like I'm a big film person so I feel like especially with film like they had the haze code so like they had to like try harder to be sexy and like try harder to put all this stuff in there and I think that's interesting so yeah I enjoy for the record I don't think that like (laughs) mine is like there are some opinions of mine where I think mine is the right opinion this is not (laughs) one of those like I acknowledge that there are really really strong pieces of art and work and whatever that like take place in the past that were made in the past long in the past 
I just like don't typically gravitate towards them. <laughs> That's totally fair. My mind is focused on the future, baby. <laughs> I just try to get through the day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you didn't get it from that whole long exchange, um, so I guess I'll explain what the show is first before I get into that. Um, this is Right Debate Recreate. Each week, Logan and I pick a musical based on a category. We rate that musical on a scale of 1 to 10. We debate which one is better. And then we think of one aspect that we would change and we recreate it. So every week we have a category. This week, that category is old versus new. And my show is Carousel. You can guess who has what. (laughs) Yeah. And my show is The Band's Visit. Excellent. I feel like these also could like... I don't know. I was thinking when I was watching them, they could also go into a bit of a category of, well, that's not really what I expected out of a musical. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, just kind of weird. Yeah. Or even further, like, because I I knew the general premise of both of these before going Mm -hmm. in, but not um, the full show. And this was my first time seeing Carousel. I Me the too. second act, I was like, "What the fuck?" I did <laughs> I not know. know. <laughs> oh, you had no idea at all. I did oh. not know that he was like a ghost. Basically. Okay, yeah, he well. goes to heaven <laughs> or goes to purgatory, whatever. And bands was that I yeah. did get to see live, and they're like the big skating scene. I did not expect like it's, yeah. <laughs> oh, that was like my favorite part. I liked that part. Sam, <laughs> I love that part. I love that part. But so, yeah, I, I guess we'll get into the summary of Carousel. So I also, I am a Rodgers and Hammerstein fiend. Wanted to a Rodgers and Hammerstein. <laughs> Defiend. <laughs> a Rodgers and Hammerstein, yeah. Um, but I had actually never seen Carousel. Um, I, like, of course, know and love the music. And I knew that he, you know, dies and does all that stuff in purgatory. Not quite heaven. Outside of heaven. I knew that heaven. he died. But I thought that was, like... <laughs> gotcha well we'll get into that but so i i knew the premise of the story i just had never had the opportunity to see it um which is dumb because i watched the 2013 lincoln center version it's on amazon for free you can just Mm -hmm. watch it it's pretty it's oh i'll get into it but like it's (laughs) it's worth watching i think yeah definitely um so anyway carousels from rogers and hammerstein like i said it's their second musical together after oklahoma which is just like a what a turnout rate yeah, that back was to too. Of course, they've been doing stuff before with other people, but this is their second musical together. Came out in 1945 and was like a massive, massive hit. It's still to this day called like the best musical of the 20th century by some people. Um, there's been a bit of a re-examination of some of its themes since it came out, which we'll get into, but not quite yet. Just going to go through the story right now. So it centers around a carousel barker, which I had no idea what that was. <laughs> it's just like the guy who's like, step right up. But also... It's like the 40s It's a sexy Mike. role. He's like hot. Yeah. yeah. So and I think you kind of lose that if you don't know. You're like, oh. <laughs> But it's like a very sexy thing. Like he was like basically trying to like entice young women to yeah. come on to the carousel. So you got carousel barker, hot, sexy guy, Billy Bigelow. And Julie Jordan, who works at a mill, they fall in love and lose their jobs. Like, that's the setup, basically. Um, So Billy gets fired because he puts his arm around her during the ride. And I guess he's not really supposed to, like, 
you know, show favoritism or touch them. He's just supposed to be like this big hunk of lunk who's like, come on, like you just get on the carousel and not show favoritism. Um, and then Julie's boss at the mill sees her with Billy. So she's just been on the ride. He puts his arm around her, blah, blah, blah. And her boss sees her with Billy. And he's like, this guy sucks. He's inappropriate. You should go home. Let me walk you home. And she's like, no. And so she loses her job. <laughs> so they're both jobless. They sing If I Loved You, if ever heard of it, famous song. And they get married. And then we do a little bit of a time jump. Um, Billy is still unemployed. He's not doing so hot um, and not treating Julie very well. And he hits her one night. We don't see it on the stage, but she tells her friend Carrie about it, who Carrie and Enoch, there's always like a B couple in a Rodgers and Hammerstein thing. They're the funner B couple, <laughs> the comedic relief in this show, and it needs it. So <laughs> Car- or Julie confides in Carrie that Billy has hit her. Carrie is kind of like, what the fuck? She's really the only person who shows... We'll get into that anyway. Whatever. So uh, Billy is in a tough spot. A friend of his or an acquaintance, it's not really clear how close they are. They like know each other, asks him to join in for a robbery. Like basically you want to make a quick buck. And Billy refuses because the the person in question that they're going after, I think, is Julie's old boss. Um, so And there's a chance he might die. So he's like, no. Um, and then Billy's old boss, um, who is Mrs. Mullins, who weirdly hits on him a lot, is like, hey, come back to the carousel. But also, if you do that, you got to leave Julie because married men don't have sex appeal is basically the gist of it. <laughs> She's like, you can't be married and also be a carousel barker. It's not allowed. So true. Um, so true. So <laughs> Billy is kind of weighing all these options and, you know, having trouble and keeps telling people he's not abusive. He is, but we'll get into all that stuff. So Julie tells Billy she's pregnant. He sings soliloquy and absolute banger and reflects on wanting to do right by Julie and his child. So he decides to join in the robbery and it goes wrong. And to avoid being caught, he stabs himself. And dies, leaving Julie alone. But that's not the end, like Logan thought it was. Um, so Billy is taken up to the Starkeeper. So basically, he's like outside the gates of heaven, not the pearly gates. It's famous, famously, mm-hmm. it's the back door. They say, which I thought was funny. <laughs> um, and the Starkeeper's like, "Well, you have not been a good enough person to go to heaven. I'm sorry." <laughs> and and says, "But if you want to, like, try, you can return." to earth for a day and if you do some good like do a good deed then maybe that'll get you into heaven so billy goes back it's been like 15 years time moves differently up there than it does on earth and his daughter louise um is ostracized kids at school are mean to her she's kind of bitter and lonely and a little mean as well Um, but they ostracize her because of who her dad was and she has a little relationship with Enoch Jr., who's carrying Enoch's kid. Um, and she wants to run away, but he doesn't want to. And he's like, I'll marry you. But, oh, no, my dad, like, wouldn't approve. Like, da-da-da. And they get in a little tiff. And Billy tries to help her out. He tries to give her this star that he stole from heaven. <laughs> but she doesn't trust him because that's weird. And she won't take it. And when they're kind of, like, going back and forth, he slaps her on the hand, I think, in frustration. She runs away, tells Julie what happened, and this is this is important. She states that the slap felt like a kiss, 
Julie says, yes, it's possible for that to be a thing. We'll talk Not about Rodgers that. and Hammerstein inspiring Lana Del Rey's album, Ultraviolence. He hit me <laughs> and it felt like a kiss. Oh my God. So <laughs> they are important to like you. <laughs> yeah, maybe um, I do like to pass. <laughs> <laughs> but so we'll get into all that. It's it's a lot. But um, then Louise, is, Louise graduates at 15, I guess. I don't know how things work back then. Um, but Billy kind of like invisibly convinces her that she doesn't have to be alone. She doesn't have to be an outcast. Okay. And he tells Julie that he loves her while like invisible. He's never said it to her while he was alive, famously. But <laughs> And then he gets to go to heaven, I guess. And that's the end. So like I said, I watched the Lincoln Center version from 2013, which is a really good cast. You've got Kelly O'Hara as Julie, um, Nathan Gunn, who's like a very famous honky honky baritone as Billy, Jesse Mueller as Carrie. She would later go on to play Julie in a different production years later. And fun, I think it's fun, Kate Burton, aka Meredith's mom from Grey's Anatomy as Mrs. Mullins, <laughs> uh, which I thought was fun. Okay, so my rating. I had a really hard time with this. So I think I'm going to rate the show as a whole and also the version that I watched as a whole as like a 6.5-ish. Could go higher, could go lower on any given day. Um, out of 10, Boston Cream Pies. Um, I actually think the show itself, barring at least up until about three-fourths of the way through, is like impeccably constructed. Like it's like really well-paced. Like it, it moves. It's got like... Weirdly, not that many songs. They're all just 10 minutes long, but you don't really feel like that they're, they're that long because they're, like, telling stories. It's not just, you know, it's all integrated, ha, 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 famously. But I think there are probably better productions out there, and we'll talk about some of the, like, more updated productions of it. But, yeah. I'm, I'm going to actually give it a 7 out of 10, Boston Oh, Pie my Pies. God. I expected to like it less than I did. Mm -hmm. um, I also knew about, like, the kind of, like, domestic violence plotline and had just, like, heard musings that, that it was handled really, really badly. Um, I don't even know where or when, but I just... I, that yeah. was, like, in my head going in. And maybe I just thought it was going to be, like, a lot worse in that sense. It's not as bad as people make yeah. it out to be. It's not, yeah. like, it's... I don't think it's perfect. I don't think no. it's, like, that handled the best. But I think I just was expecting it to be blatantly terrible and it wasn't yeah. in yeah. that sense i agree and I agree. I agree that parts of it are like incredible mm -hmm. okay band's visit i'm gonna keep this like super super short and sweet because okay. that's i'll nothing talk really about more in my review yeah that and yeah. but also because that's kind of the point is that nothing yeah. really happens literally <laughs> the premise of the show is that an egyptian like traditional um orchestra police band is going to do a performance in petatikva in Israel, there's a mix-up at the train station, and they get sent to Beta Beta Tikva, which with is a with a B instead of a P, and it's this like small middle of nowhere desert town in Israel that literally is like some a housing and a cafe. That's literally the premise of the show, um, and it's kind of about like this group of people taking this band in for the night, and literally the show takes place over like less than twenty four hours, like. It's, it's like less than a day. Um, and it's this group taking them in. That's pretty much the premise. I'll talk more about some details later. But like, again, nothing really actually happens. No. 
Um, and that's kind of the point, I'll argue. I'm going to give The Band's Visit a 9 out of 10. Um, oh my gosh, I had it and I don't have it written down. I'm just going to say because I love the way Katrina Link says that when she's like and she just repeats a lot so I'll just mm-hmm. say that but I had a funny one trust okay <laughs> I think I'm gonna so I never seen the band's visit before um I think it is probably more effective seeing it in person than over my little bootleg screen mm-hmm. so I'm going to give it a seven. I think it probably deserves an eight. And I've yeah. had Omar Sharif stuck in my head all day. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. I I don't, honestly, I don't disagree with your rating and might have even agreed with it after seeing it the first time okay. um, live right. on Broadway. Okay. But I have, a, I have a lot of complicated thoughts about it. Okay, cool. All right. Shall we get into some discussion? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so I wanted to go through a little bit of the background on this because I think it's important later. So Carousel is based on a Hungarian play called Lilium. I have no idea if I'm saying that correctly. Um, by Ferenc Molnar. And it premiered in Budapest in like the very early 1900s and was not very well received. Like people don't really get it. It's like the same. Like he goes to heaven and has to come back. I'm like... I guess people were like, what? What's going on? Um, and then they revived it in the 40s. It was a huge hit. Rodgers and Hammerstein saw a version of it um, starring Burgess Meredith and Ingrid Bergman, actually. Um, speaking of the old. Love her. Anyway, so they were <laughs> I'm like, approached. I'm like, am I supposed to know her? <laughs> Are you kidding? Casablanca? Please get out of here. Girl, Go I ain't never seen no Casablanca. <laughs> Logan! Are you kidding me? Have you seen Sing 2? No. Okay, then don't talk to me. <laughs> okay, we can talk about that later. We don't Sing have time to argue about this. Sing 2 is the Casablanca of our time. Oh my god, okay, whatever. <laughs> Moving on. Okay, anyway. They chose... So, uh, I'm all mixed up now. Okay. <laughs> so, um, a couple of producers from the Theaters Guild, Teresa Helbert and Lawrence Langer, um, produ- approached... Roger and Hammerstein and said, we want you to do this after they had done Oklahoma and it was a huge hit. Um, but they were kind of like, no, we don't really want to do that. We don't really know anything about Budapest. <laughs> and then they thought the ending was too sad. They're like, that won't work in a musical theater setting because the ending, the graduation scene is completely like made up for the musical. So the way oh, the play that's ends. That's why I was mixing it up. <laughs> the, well, no, they still do the whole like go, go oh. back for one day thing. <laughs> So, but it ends when Billy slaps his daughter and it's basically like, mm, you don't get to go to heaven. You haven't learned anything. <laughs> <laughs> Which I like. Yeah, I kind of like that. Yeah. Um, but they were like, that's too dark for musicals. Like musicals need redemption. Need like, da 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 Which like, I think informs a lot of the show, of course. So... They eventually were convinced to do it, um, but they were like, where should we move it? And they wanted to move it to Louisiana, but they were like, we don't want to incorporate Creole. That's cheesy, which I think is maybe a little bigoted. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So they ended up choosing coastal Maine, 
Literally, I think because they thought it was sexy. So this is a quote from Oscar Hammerstein. I began to see an attractive ensemble, sailors, whalers, girls who worked in the mills on the river, clam banks on nearby islands, an amusement park on the seaboard, things people could do in crowds, people who were strong and alive and lusty. <laughs> who knew that carousel could probably more aptly be named clam bake? The music. Literally, this also like <laughs> it's more about uh, a June makes people horny. <laughs> it's like literally about people being horny too. I don't know. So like anyway, so they chose they settled on coastal Maine, um, and then they had to convince Molnar to let them adapt it. He famously never wanted his work to be adapted. He wanted it to be remembered as his own, not someone else's. Which that's fair. And he had already turned down Puccini. <laughs> And Kurt Weil. <laughs> so he's like in high demand. But the Theater Guild producers like took him to see Oklahoma and he loved it. And so he was like, if they can do the same by my work as they did by Green Girl, the Lilacs, then sure, they can adapt it. So they kind of, but they have this like thing over their heads. Like, what if he doesn't like it? What if he doesn't like it? What if he doesn't like it mm-hmm. the whole time while they're making it? So they end up doing it. They add the graduation scene. Here's a quote from Richard Rogers about why. He says, Lilium was a tragedy about a man who cannot learn to live with other people. I would argue Carousel is also about that. Um, But the way Volnor wrote it, the man ends up hitting his daughter and then having to go back to purgatory, leaving his daughter helpless and hopeless. We couldn't accept that. The way we ended Carousel, it may still be a tragedy, but it's a hopeful one because in the final scene, it is clear that the child has at last learned how to express herself and communicate with others. I would argue that's not that clear. And in the version that we watched, at least, I think the ending scene is way more about Billy than it is about Louise. And I think it would be better if it was about Louise. It's not fun to be about Billy for me. Yeah. Anyway, so that's kind of the history of Carousel. Like I said, I'd never seen it before. Like, of course, listen to music, love the music, but I've never actually seen the show. And my experience, I feel like with Rodgers and Hammerstein, like I've watched a lot of their stuff growing up. um, And I feel like a lot of people my age are like, oh, this show is dated, like, oh, like, they, like, they wouldn't do this now, or this is fucked up, or whatever, and my thing has kind of always been, like, I'll watch it, and I'll be like, okay, yeah, sure, but also, like, it's kind of geniusly constructed, and even if the ways that they're critiquing social issues, like, if they're critiquing, like, race or class or whatever it might be, like, even if, like, the ways, like, the kind of things they come up with might be, like, dated, like, oh, maybe we would, like, choose a different way to go about it now, like, the actual critique itself is usually not. I hear that, yeah. I <laughs> like, hear it's that. usually, like, pretty astute, I think. Um, especially for, I know we always, like, oh, we don't like saying, like, especially for the time. But especially for the time. That being said, like, I knew that one of the major themes in Carousel is domestic abuse. And I knew that people, like, have real qualms with the way it's portrayed. And I think, like, three-fourths of the way through this musical, I was like, I don't know if I, like, am that, if I, like, have that many issues with it. And then we get to the end, and I'm like, oh, I, like, really have an issue with this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to say that, like, I don't think bad characters can have, or bad characters, people who do bad things cannot be redeemed. But I think there's a way that they could have done this and, like, you know, have Billy, who I think is, like, a complex and interesting character, and, like, have him be the main character while still giving, like, Julie and Louise more depth and more to do especially towards the end when billy is literally dead (laughs) so that's sort of my like encompassing thing of it and i get that they don't want the ending to be sad but like fiddler on the roof has a sad ending and everyone still loves that shit so 
We should have fiddler on the roof this bitch. Um, so a lot of what I'm going to talk about kind of going through my critique is from this Vulture article, um, which was written by Lori Weiner. And I can't remember what the, ty- the headline was. I think it was like Carousel After Me Too or something like that. And she has this quote. Carousel focuses on lovers who cannot dig their way out of poverty, crime, and brutality, a couple whose only comfort comes in retroactive forgiveness and redemption in the afterlife. For Bigelow and his wife, Julie Jordan, happiness on earth is not in the picture. And I think, like, the issue I have with Carousel is it focuses way too much on redemption in the afterlife than it does, like, Julie's retroactive forgiveness and how she got there, sort of. Or even Mm. if, like, it is forgiveness. Like, we don't really all we know about her kind of after Billy dies. I don't really know how she's like talked about him to her daughter. We never really get to see that. We don't really get to see how like she's come to terms with what happened to her. Cause it's a pretty trim. I guess it's a pretty traumatic thing to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, your husband hit you. Maybe things are going to be better. Like, I don't know. And then he kills himself during a robbery. Yeah. Like it's a really awful thing to have happened. So I guess like, my biggest issue with it is that we, those two things are not equally explored. And I think the show would be better if it were. And I guess Bill's yeah. main character, but whatever. But at the same time, I'm really glad Carousel exists. Like, it's messy. And I like that. It's like a beautiful mess, even though I know I gave it like a 6.5. But I think like the ending just really doesn't do it for me. Yeah. Um. So... Like I said, like three fourths of the way through, I was like, this is not as bad as people <laughs> make it out to be. I don't know what's going on. And I think there's actually like a pretty strong critique of how normalized like violence against women is and how like men conceptualize what abuse is and how they're wrong about that a lot of the time. Um, so like everyone in town knows that Billy hit Julie, like it's like not a secret. But the only person who seems to actually care about it and treat it with like seriousness is Carrie who's her best friend. And I think that the rest of the town is kind of like, oh, well, like, we told you. You knew he was a shitty guy. Like, you deserved it. Like, da-da-da. And I think that's actually, like, kind of astute, I guess, Mm -hmm. about, like, everyone expects her to have, like, known. And it's there from the very beginning, like, with If I Loved You, like, her boss being, like, this guy. Why are you hanging around this guy? Like, da-da-da. And, like, there's this sense of, like, pressure put on her, for not being, like, quote-unquote smart enough to, like, get out. I think is, like, a astute, like, look at, like, how it might have been viewed. And I think they even comment on it a little bit with, like, the side characters. Like, um, Carrie has this scene with Jigger, it's a weird name, who is Judd in the Hugh Jackman, Oklahoma, pretty sure. Oh. <laughs> um, it's If not, they are twins. And I didn't look it up, should have done that. Um, and albeit it's done in a little more comical way, but so Jigger is the guy who um, plans the robbery. And him and Carrie have this interaction where he's sort of hitting on her and she's like, I'm getting married, like she's engaged, like that. She's like, I'm getting married in two weeks, leave me alone. And he tells her, like, you're lucky I wasn't a sort of different fella. Like, it's like almost putting like the onus on her, like, not just like, oh, like, sorry, sorry. It's just like, well, you're lucky that I'm like, nice, ha ha ha, you know? And that's like a pretty, I don't know. I think that's like a pretty astute observation for like these two dudes to make about like the way like men and women interact and like how violence like works in those relationships. And it's such a small moment that like, I don't know, I feel like you don't really think about it. So I think like 
right now I want to get into more of like how we've updated carousel. So mm. like I said, I think like what is cool, I love about Rodgers and Hammerstein stuff is like you can really like change a lot without changing the text at all, which I think is a testament mm-hmm. to them. Like we talked about that with Oklahoma last season. Yeah. Um, and I think my I wish issue... I could have seen the 2018 carousel, although I did hear yeah. a critique of it was that it it wasn't that like in this in the way that Oklahoma was really radically updated. Yeah. It didn't feel like it they was a to. fresh perspective. I feel like people are like precious about Carousel almost. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so I think the version that we watched, the 2013 version, is a bit more romantic about. So we'll have to talk about like the slap, equating the slap to the kiss issue mm-hmm. of all this, which is like the part that does romanticize abuse, in my opinion. Like it does. Like she yeah. does not question, like, and it's not so much that like she can't feel that way. It's just, like, she doesn't question that at all. Like, she's just like, yes, that's that's yeah. true. And there's no, like, real, I guess, inherent, like, exploration of that. And so the Joshua Henry and Jesse Mueller version cuts that line completely. They don't say it at all. And then the 1993 London version, which is my favorite cast recording, has Michael Hayden and Joanna writing as Billy and um, Julie. And apparently Michael Hayden's characterization of Billy is, like, very different than it usually is. Like, he's, like, Mm. a big, bulky, brooding guy. But he played him as, like, small – he's a smaller guy, I think. So he's, like, just smaller generally. And then, like, very frustrated and kind of, like, nervy almost. Like, almost, like, kinetic. Um, And I have this quote, again, from the Vulture article from Lori Weiner. So she talks – the British director of that production was Nicholas Heitner – um, it says, Nicholas Heitner pa- paid great attention to the way poverty grinds down even the young. His Billy Bigelow appeared deeply embalmed in dirt and sweat and grew more haggard as the play went on. Injustice and toil were everywhere. They seemed to emanate from the gigantic clock that oversaw Julie and the other mill work- workers, an instrument so heavy it would crush them if it fell. Heitner's carousel provided an argument about class that contextualized Billy's violence. And I think that's one of the problems I have with this 2013 version is I'm not sure Nathan Gunn, which I don't know disrespect, he has a stunning voice. Yeah, voice was there. Yeah, I'm not sure he's like a strong enough actor to put all that forth, which is why like I love listening to Michael Hayden perform Billy. Like that cast recording is incredible, but I would love to have been able to see it as well. Because I think the issue with Billy, it's not that, like, I don't mind having violent, unlikable protagonists, like, whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't mind having, like, a complex person who's kind of awful. Like, what's difficult about the Nathan Gunn performance to me is, like, he doesn't really hit, like, he's not very specific in his choices. Like, it's more, like, big. Like, he's, like, trying to play to the back of the house, which I wonder if it would have worked better if I were watching from the audience and I wasn't watching, like, a, you know, filmed version of it. But I didn't have the same problem with any of the other performers. So, I don't know. Yeah. I just feel like he's, like, very big and broad and doesn't really, like, try to nail down the specifics of the character. And then I'm going to wrap this up here. But I think, like, the other issue that I have – or actually, I'm going to wrap this up here. Heitner, who I think was praised at the time for, like, creating – a sort of non-romanticized version of Carousel and, like, really trying to, like, dig into the class dynamics of it because that's there. Like, they both lose their job. They're struggling. Like, they're kind of, you know, way down in the, like, grid of all this. He apparently really regrets not cutting out the hit kiss line. He kept it in there. 
um, which again, the Jesse Mueller, Joshua um, Mm -hmm. Henry version does, which was directed by Jack O'Brien. And he has this quote about it, which I, I, this is kind of how I feel like it's an appalling truth that people feel that way. But to put those words in the show's climactic moment is a huge blot on the text. It's outrageous and unforgivable. It should be cut. And I sort of agree with that. Like, I think it's like, it is an appalling truth, but to just put it out there without like, it without reflecting on it, it's like a big climactic moment that doesn't merit any kind of reflection. Like it just kind of whirls on past it and you're like, whoa, Mm -hmm. (laughs) wait a minute, go back. And then with the end, you know, we read that Rogers quote saying why he um, added the graduation scene in there and kind of trying to make the ending more for Louise, which is their child. Um, But we just get so little of Louise. I'm not sure that works. Um, And I'm going to get to that in my recreate. So I guess I'll save that for there. But yeah, that's kind of how I feel about Carousel. So again, on a good day, I could give it like an eight and not a bad day. You know, it's just like, yeah, depending on the performance and how I'm feeling, but. Yeah. I think I pretty much agree with everything you said. Um, so much for re- debate recreate. <laughs> um, but I agree. One thing that I can't wrap my mind around is it being the best musical of the 20th century. No, that, first of all, I'm like, Oklahoma's like, way better. What? I know. <clears throat> I'm like, if you're like, I can, I can recognize the importance of yeah. the show and its impact in future shows. Yes. But like, if that's going to be your your point of view, girl, Oklahoma's right there. I don't know. That, that's that, how I feel. Yeah. I just, I, and I actually have a very similar feeling about the band's visit, which may be a good segue. Yeah. Um, so the band's visit is one of the four shows ever to win like the big six awards at the Tony, which is best musical book score direction, and then best actor and actress. Mm-hmm. I think band's visit is amazing. I really, I, I actually like have come a long way with the show, mm-hmm. but it is not one of the four shows that I think should have won the big six. Like that is wow. in a similar way where I can, I can like carousel and not think it's anywhere close to the best musical of the 20th century. To me, band's visit is not anywhere close to, to being like one of the four shows that deserves that whatever title. No, I agree. Um, so I saw band's visit in 20, 2018, I think 2019, whenever it was, <laughs> um, I think it was 2018. And had an interesting experience. I went in pretty blind. I only knew Omar Sharif going in. The one thing that stood out to me was Katrina Link. She's awesome. Was a star. Mm -hmm. Was an absolute star. Um, She destroyed every single part of that role. Mm -hmm. And was incredible. Otherwise, I kind of was just like, meh about it. Like, I... I was, like, really bored at parts of the show. I kind of was like, what's happening? What's the point? I literally found myself, like, during the show thinking about, like, what I was going to say after. Like, I was going to be like, wow, it kind of disappointed me. I think I I remember I saw it after Tony nominations came out, but before the Tonys. So I knew that it was, like, acclaimed. It got a ton of nominations. And maybe that part was part of it. And I, I kept being like, wow, I, I can't wait to be like, yeah, nothing really happened. It was kind of boring. <laughs> and that's like, blah, blah, blah. And then Answer Me happens, which is like the song at the end. And I fucking lost it. Like, I was sobbing. I was such an emotional mess. Um, and it kind of changed my perspective a little bit at the time, but not to where I am now. Uh, at the, but at the time, I was like, I guess, like, it kind of 
like the the whole reason I'm I'm so torn is because I think that the mundaneness and the boringness of it is part of the point. Like yeah, for sure. That it's not an accident. They're not like accidentally making a boring show that then has a beautiful ending. It's like really intentional. So I have a few points I want to talk about. The first thing is like, what's the point of the show? What's the message? I think that the whole idea, the point of the show is about like human connection and the power that comes from that. Um, literally you open with like the orchestra and then a text on, on screen that says once not long ago, a group of musicians came to Israel from Egypt. You probably didn't hear about it. It wasn't very important. Yeah. And that's literally your premise for the show. Um, it's kind of like played for laughs. Like the audience was like, oh, okay. But they're kind of playing their cards right from the beginning. Like Mm -hmm. they're telling you nothing important really happens in this show. And it's true. Like nothing important does happen, but also like it's so profound that like through this, exactly. That's the whole point. It's like the, the non-profound moments, the mundane, all of these things, like that is why there's such deep meaning in life. So like, I think that they are able to get that message across when I, I will say when I first saw it, I still left the theater being like, I don't know, like, was that build up worth it? I don't know if it was upon watching it again. I think it's because I I know the, all the music now and, mm-hmm. um and like know what's going to happen. I kind of went in knowing that nothing happens is kind of the point. I was able to enjoy it so much more this time around. Um, and I think, I don't know, maybe that's part of it. Like, cause, cause I knew like what it was building up to. I think that's why I gave it a nine. I think I, if you had asked me like after seeing it, I probably would have also given it like a seven, mm-hmm. um, the first time I saw it. So my sister saw this when it came to Atlanta and hated it. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I told you, she freaking hated it. She was like, that is the most boring show I've ever seen in my entire life. I cannot believe it. Juan Tony is like. So I went into it sort of being like, okay, is this going to be the worst thing I've ever seen in my life? And I think that helped bolster it. Um, Because I do think it's good. I just think slice of life musicals are very difficult to achieve. Yeah, they are. On a big stage. Like, I wonder, part of me wonders, I don't know how big, how big was the, like, where was the... um, theater like what did you see it in? i don't remember which theater it was but it's a it, it wasn't a huge one it was a small okay. one but i almost wonder if it would have been better like really small you know like circle it's, in the square yeah kind of um which like obviously i watched it on my computer and that's just not the way you should watch anything um but i just think slice of life stuff is kind of hard on a big mm-hmm. broadway stage um but i think knowing that it was kind of you know, the premise, you know, you probably didn't hear yeah. about it. Nothing really happened was helpful going into it. Um, I think it is bolstered a hundred percent by having answered me at the end, because like, that's yes. the point, right? Is that it's like, okay, boring, boring, boring. It's just life. It's just life. And then like, and not just answer me, but like the stuff with, um, I'm going to call him Tony Shalhoub because Tony yeah, Shalhoub, Tony Shalhoub. Um, the stuff with Tony Shalhoub's family, like that coming out and the kind of like the relationship coming to like a climactic head between him and Katrina Lank, like at the end, like that going into answer me makes the show because yes. like, that's what like life is like mundane, 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 punctuated by like beautiful or sad or like high emotion moments. Right. Yes, and that makes it. Totally. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's the thing is like Answer Me is so brilliantly crafted for me. And also, I'll just go ahead and talk about the telephone guy. What what is simultaneously insignificant, but also maybe the most significant character yeah. in the show. So um, in, in the band's visit, there's this guy who waits by the payphone and you kind of, he's there, like, you see him, so, Sammy, I, you actually didn't get to see this in no. the show, but, like, there are lots of moments where he's just, like, there, On in the stage. background of okay. scenes that are happening, that he's just, like, standing by the phone, and he's kind of portraying, like, you kind of think he's just this crazy person who has maybe a mental illness and is just, like, for whatever reason, needs to be by this phone. And then at the end, Answer Me starts happening, and... Actually, okay, I'm, I'm not going to talk about that yet because I want to okay. connect it to this bigger premise I have um, about the show. So I have two okay. other things I want to talk about first and then I'll get to it, which is the spoiler is waiting as being the point. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the music I want to talk about, um, not, not even just the music of the show, which I think is brilliant, but the music as part of the human connection, I think, is another like big theme that I pull out from the show. Um, almost this idea of like music being a universal language. A lot of the characters in a band's visit are able to connect through each other, through their different cultures. They do like, they are able to communicate the same language, but not in their like native tongues. Like it's kind of both secondary for both of them. Um, and so like their ability to relate to each other through the music is really, really cool. Um, especially with Dina and Tony Shalhoub, Tafik. Um, yeah. I, they have this one. So, so Tafik sees something in Dina that I don't, I don't think she sees in herself, which is that she's like highly emotional and is able to feel things like incredibly deeply, even though she doesn't know it herself. Mm -hmm. And the flip side of that is she has this like huge admiration for him, for his passion for the craft of music and, she, like, really longs to understand what that must feel like. And they have this moment where, like, they're kind of able to step into each other's shoes and feel that a little bit. And I think it's one of the most special moments in the show and, like, mm -hmm. demonstrates what I have felt in my life a lot of times with music, which is this, like, something that transcends above language and things that we can communicate to just, like, an emotional, like, more spiritual experience. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I love the portrayal of like music as this universal language. And side note, just when Tony Shalhoub starts singing, that's another moment. Not even her song mm -hmm. after that, but just when he starts singing is another yeah. moment where I was like, oh, it's beautiful. God. Like, yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing that you'll never catch me saying this again, but something that I love about this show is the lack of politics. And I want to back that up. Um, because I think I'm usually the biggest proponent of like Make making political. really bold political choices. Like the, the medium itself is political. Mm -hmm. Um, but I actually think they made the right move by not making it like a super political show, at least in the sense of like in a show about Israelis and Egyptians, like you'd expect yeah. there to be some pointed political commentary on the relations between these ethnic groups and the push and pull, like whatever you want to call it. Um, but there's really like little to no mention at all of any kind of like, I don't know, rough relations between mm -hmm. the groups there. So I was, I, I can't remember who said this, but I was reading that one of the creators of the show had said that they really wanted like the details of the show to be fairly interchangeable with other experiences that he specifically said that like this show could e just as easily be about 
hospitality between Democrats and Republicans or any other like traditionally opposed groups. Mm -hmm. And like with how simple the point of the show and the message of the show is, I do think that it would be distracting to, to like focus on politics more. And I think that like what this does is find humanity and simplicity like together. And I don't know. I just think that like not having a political statement helps hammer down this message of like the human experience and the mundane even more. No, I agree. Yeah. I think that like I was waiting for like something to happen and it never did. And it was kind of, it was nice. I was like, Oh, (laughs) well that's, let's talk about that because that's my last thing that I was Uh, waiting for, for, which is waiting, (laughs) wanting, wishing as this like trio of, um, a theme throughout the show is they, they're constantly, especially waiting and wishing are kind of used interchangeably and then wanting as well. So back to my thing about the telephone guy, his whole thing, the whole show is he's just waiting by the phone the entire time. Um, and you don't really know why you don't know what. And he sings answer me, which is like this beckoning call out. Like, he's like, will you answer me and gives up and leaves. And as he's leaving the phone rings, and I think it's like his girlfriend. It's his girlfriend, and, yeah. Yeah. It's it's honestly like not that important what it is, but it's this moment of like, oh my God. And then what happens is all the little vignettes of like the conversations of the Israelis and the Egyptians that housed that or the the Egyptians and the Israelis who housed the different members of the band start like coming up in the rotating stage and you just like have this beautiful moment where the music builds, you're seeing all the mundane like conversations and things that were happening throughout the show and it all like has this massive moment where you're just like this is life like this is humanity and the reason that I changed my mind about this show of like was it worth it the boring part sitting through is because I think that not only is the show about waiting I think that's kind of part of what it's for for the audience too like the waiting as the audience, like what you're waiting for, that's also a part of the point. And I think that there's some kind of, I don't, I'm still kind of piecing together what it is. And I'm sure someone else could say it a bit more (laughs) profoundly than I can. But I think there's some message in here that like, is akin to the rhetoric we hear about, you know, like the process, the journey is the point, but that feels more like pointed and profound to me, which is like, because I don't, I don't feel like there is a journey that takes place in this show but that like the waiting is the point like the waiting the waiting is an action like waiting is not something that's passive it is an active like state of mind and it's one that dina and most of the townspeople are in Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the show they literally sing a song called waiting dina has this line that i love that she says keep looking off out into the distance even though you know the view is never going to change it's this like active acceptance almost like this waiting that I think is so beautiful. And I think that they like literally transpose that to the audience. Um, and then in uh, towards the end of the show in um, that song, something, something's different or something. Yeah. Changing, um, different. Dina sings, she's like watching uh, Tafik like play his music. And it's like, it's in a different language, but she's still able to like feel it and, and understand it in some way. And she's kind of musing, like, what is he even singing about? And she sings, like, close to each other, she sings, is he singing about wishing? 
which is the first thing she sings. And it's like this whole, like, what is this beautiful melody and this beautiful passion with what she's singing? Like, is he wishing? Like, is he waiting just like I am? Mm -hmm. And then in the next verse, she sings a bit more sarcastically. Is he singing about fishing? And I think that that is both really funny. It's something he loves. But I also think that's like part of the point of this all. She's realizing in this moment that like he is able to find this like beautiful meaning and and melody in something whether it's waiting like her current situation that she doesn't feel like she's able to find meaning in Mm -hmm. um which is waiting or wishing or he's like making this beautiful melody out of like some dumb hobby he has which she literally thinks it's a dumb hobby which is fishing and to me for her that is like her running the cafe her like hospitality and I, I don't know, I think there's this moment of like, wow, like there is beauty in things that, that I don't think have, that I didn't think had beauty in the mundane. Yeah. And I think that the answer me really wraps all of that up in this like beautiful thesis that is like so melodic. I get chills every time it transforms from, from being like kind of a solo into the group number and they all start singing together. It's so beautiful to me. It made me cry like crazy tears when I saw it live. I cried again watching it this time. Yeah. It, I don't know. It just is so special. And that is why I changed my opinion that it actually is. I'm, I'm not going to say it's like one of the best. That's why I didn't give it a 10. It's not perfect. But mm-hmm. I do think it's like a remarkable show. And um, yeah, I really, really love the band's yeah. visit. And I've come a long way with it since first seeing it. We're not being too generous with tens today. <laughs> We're not. <laughs> Despite oh my, my reputation. <laughs> okay. Um, to get into my recreate, I'm going to bring back up the ending because I just think they really kind of fumbled the bag with yeah. this whole graduation scene. And it's not so much adding it. It's just what happens. And if we're supposed to kind of empathize with Louise, especially, they really fumble the bag. Because all you care about at that point is Billy. He's the only, like, real... He's the only person who, like, feels like a real person. I don't know if that makes yeah. sense. Anyway. So, no, I agree. I think we need to, like, restructure the second act a little bit and, like, move some things around. So this is going to be a fairly realistic, boring recreate. Sorry about it. I think... So, like, the way the second act and the first act are structured, the first act ends with Billy, like, deciding to do the robbery, I think. I'm trying to remember. Because mm-hmm. he's he dies, And then like, it opens with the clam bank. Yes, yeah, yeah, it opens with the clam bank. Because he, like, goes, he yeah. decides to go there. For so his alibi. alibi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So sad, because she's so happy that he's going to come. Um, but I think, like, the second act should really focus on mostly the afterlife stuff, and also mm-hmm. Julia and Louise. So... I think, like, if you open up, so, like, the first act ends after Billy is told, hey, you can go back down and try to redeem yourself. Do you want to do that? And he's like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to go to heaven. Um, we could open the second act with the dream ballet, which I think is, like, the high point of the show. I fucking love a good dream ballet. It's one of my love favorite it. things in the entire world. This one is so beautiful. I really like the parallels between both Julie and her mother, like, she kind of has this relationship with, like, a... I assume he's, like, a carnival guy, because he leaves, um, presumably to continue on the way. 
But I think there's also a lot of parallels between Louise and her father, which I quite like. She is a lot like him. Um, and I think, like, like in Soliloquy, he sings about how he's like, oh, fuck, what if I have a daughter? Like, he's, like, waxing poetic about having a boy. And then he's like, oh, shit, what if I have a daughter? And the funny thing is, like, he did have a daughter and she's still just like him. She didn't have to be a boy to be like him. She's just like him. Um, mm-hmm. And I like that. I wish the second act explored that a little more. Um, so I think we could, like, open it with the dream ballet and maybe, like, just open with a little more information about where Julie is and how mm. she's grown in these past 15 years. So, like I said, I really like Weiner's quote about how for Julie, Julie's side of the story is about, like, retroactive forgiveness. And maybe not, and I'm not sure how I quite feel about the forgiveness word, but I do like this idea of, like, this all happened so quickly and she was so young and like retroactively after Billy's dead, figuring out like how to move on with your life and figuring out like, do you want to forgive this person? How do you want to handle their memory in your head? This person that you did love, like, you know, which is mm-hmm. sad and sucks, but like true. Um, so how do you kind of move on and recreate your life outside of this terrible thing that happened to you and that everyone in your town associates you and your child with? Like, how do you move on from that? That's hard. And I think that's interesting. And I wish we would have like learned more about that in the second act. So kind of, I think the first act should kind of belong to Billy and the second act should belong to Julie and Louise. In the play, so the play that this is based on, Billy hitting Louise is, like, a direct indication that he has not learned anything. Like, he's not... Not that he's not... Well, actually, I think in the play it is kind of, like, he's not redeemable. And I don't know if I... I don't like the idea that, like, people can't be redeemed and it's, like, Mm -hmm. sticky because it's, like, to mess... But, you know... So I understand the impulse to be, like, we can't end it that way. Like, we cannot, like, not have, like, someone be redeemed. Like, our main character be redeemed or whatever. Um, but also, I don't think people necessarily need to be redeemed. And I think <laughs> the kind of slap scene with Louise should read as like, oh, you have not learned anything. You are still the same, like, crappy, you know, disgruntled, frustrated, like, kind of warped, sad man that you were. And like, maybe that's not all your fault. Like, there were bigger circumstances at play, but you are still that same person. Just giving you, like, the chance to redeem yourself does not mean you have learned anything. But I think the graduation scene focuses way too much on Billy being the one to, like, prompt Louise to not feel like she needs to stay isolated. And I think by virtue of, like, giving Billy the, like, if he's the one to physically do that, it, like, puts a lot of the focus on him just because he's invisible, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. even if they wanted to make it about Louise, like... he has to like pretend to be invisible on stage. So he's like, you know, so yeah, there's just like a lot of movement with him and it's very focused on him by virtue of him not like really being there. I don't know if that makes sense, but like he's, you know, he's like moving around. No. Yeah. I think I get that. Yeah. So I think if we turn like the Billy Louise, like Billy being the one to like push Louise in this direction to like, giving more context to Julie and Louise's relationship before the slap scene with Billy happens, then it could turn into like Julie being the one to like sort of push Louise in that direction and pushing her towards like not feeling isolated or not feeling so bitter about her father and like the relationship the town had to him and stuff. 
because mm-hmm. Louise in the ballet is like coded as being a lot like her dad, like I said, which I really like. And I think it would have been interesting to see Julie not only deal like with retroactively moving on from this relationship and figuring out how to like conceptualize it in her head. Um, I think it would have been interesting to see Julie also like explore the dynamic with a daughter who is a lot like her husband. I mean, not mm-hmm. in the physical violence way, but just like in the way that she views the world because people are, you know, neglecting and ostracizing her the same way they did her father. I think that'd be interesting for two women to explore. Um, so I think if we remove the kiss hit dialogue, which I agree, like, I just don't think if you're not going to reflect on it, I don't think it needs to be there. So I think if we kind of remove that dialogue from Julian Louise's conversation, just maybe let, this is where this is really vague and I'm, I don't, I'm not a playwright. I don't know how to do this, but just like let Julian Louise have an honest conversation about her father and like the things that Julie is perhaps afraid of because she sees so much of Billy and Louise and like let them have Mm -hmm. like an honest conversation about that. And then maybe like let them have a conversation after the graduation where Julie is the one to sort of prompt Louise in this way of like, please don't turn out like your dad. And that's, I just think it'd be better. And again, that's really vague. I'm not a playwright, but I just think if the second act focused more on Julie and Louise, it would be a lot better. I love that. I agree. Um, I want, I also just want Julie to like feel like a human. Yeah. Because <laughs> and if I loved you, she's like so yeah. funny. She has a lot of personality. And I think it's again, 1993 British origin. So good. She's like so spunky. She's like, I'm not leaving. Like I like him. Like she's just like so spunky. Has a lot of personality. She's funny. He kind of likes her because she's weird, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? And then like that completely disappears. And I understand she's like, going through a lot like you know that might like kind of zap the life out of you a bit but I don't I wish we could have at least seen it come back in the 15 years yeah. since you know he passed but okay Bible creates a little different <laughs> <laughs> so okay so first of all I, I didn't discuss this in my, at all but like I also wanted to talk a little bit about this old versus new and why I think like the band was and considering new aside from the fact that it literally was a few years ago, mm-hmm. um, which is that I think that the band's visit is representative of this like newer age of really successful shows that I think we've seen in the last, like honestly 15 years, but especially more in the last few um, to name a few that I I'm going to group in this like category, not to say all these shows are, are the same, but like have similar conceptual vibes and are kind of almost like anti-musical theater and, anti like the Karis the Rogers and Hammerstein musical theater shows. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. so like Spring Awakening, Next to Normal, Passing Strange, Once, Fun Home, Band's Visit, A Strange Loop, Six, <laughs> Waitress, Hades Town. <laughs> like I'm gonna group all of those in a similar category of this kind of like new age anti-musical musicals. Um so what I wanted to do Still was come influenced up- by Rogers and Hammerstein, but continue. Yes, <laughs> no. yes. I don't disagree with that. But anyway, some of the characteristics I was like coming up with are like minimal choreography, small cast, mm-hmm. like really heavily conceptual shows. Yeah. Um usually have some sort of like twist or gimmick, you know, like German school children, <laughs> the stage is the bar, you know, with sure. once Greek mythology, like have some kind of really pointed view and then I do think that a a thread through all of these, and not to say this isn't, you know, 
bigger with musicals and art in general. But I do think that like the human experience plays a really, really big role in all of these kinds of shows. Um, to maybe where it's like more the point than it is with like more bigger, brazier musicals, whatever. So what I wanted to do is to make a new one, the next big hit new age musical, but it's going to be Mad Libs style. (laughs) So I took those like characteristics and I wrote a paragraph um, with like little things that you're going to choose and we're going to make a new musical together. So we're going to do a speed round right now where I'm going to give you the category and you have to give me an answer. Okay. And then I'll read you the paragraph altogether. Okay. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, The writer of this new show. Give me a musical theater writer. Or this happy musical theater. Uh, just like the book or like the lyrics? All of it. Whatever. Anything. <laughs> um, Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Um, give me the name of this show. <clears throat> or uh, name of a musical that you want to create. Space Cowboy. You don't Cowboy. have to have any context. Space Cowboy. Um, give me a location. Um, Marfa, Texas. Marfa, Texas, <laughs> baby. Prada store. Um, give me a time period. The 1970. Oh, the 1970s. 1970s. Um, can you give me a hobby? Painting. Can you give me a music style? Tejano. <laughs> Love. You know that speaking right to my soul. How many times have we talked about Selena on this podcast? <laughs> I know. Um, okay. Can you give me... Okay, this one I don't really know how to explain, but I'll give you some examples. Okay. Can you give me, like, a group of characters? So, like, what I'm kind of get at is, like, um, like the queens of six, the Egyptian band members and uh, bands visit, like, the, the voice, the thoughts in A Strange Loop. Like, a, a kind of, like, chorus vibe that everyone's represented. I know that's the, the, um, <laughs> first thing that came to my head was the Muppets, so... <laughs> the Muppets, yeah! Um, can you give me an adjective? Mm, adjective. Spunky. Um, can you give me two names? Any names? Molly Morgan. And then can you give me the lead actor and the lead actress? Jesse Buckley and Joshua Henry. <laughs> um, can you give me another a hyperbolic adjective? Extravagant. And then can you pick a number between 1 and 20? 17. And then another number between 1 and 20? 2. Okay. (laughs) This is our show. (laughs) Hi. My name is Lin-Manuel Miranda, and I'm so excited to introduce you to my new show, Space Cowboy. Oh my god. This show is inspired by the lovely streets of Marfa, Texas and is set in the 1970s. Space Cowboy explores the fascinating world of painting, 
through Tejano music. <laughs> Our small but mighty supporting cast of eight play various Muppets throughout the show who narrate the spunky stories of our leads, Molly and Morgan, played by Jesse Buckley and Joshua Henry. We hope you come to see our extravagant musical, which is sure to sweep the Tony Awards in 2024 with 17 nominations and two wins. <laughs> which one do you think? <laughs> uh, I think it wins Best Musical and that uh, Joshua Henry gets Best Actor finally. I can deal with that. <laughs> Me too. Oh my god. Lynn, call us. You better yeah. not steal that. <laughs> yeah, for real. I know you're listening. Oh my god. Well, okay. Um, do you want to preview next week? I'm yeah, I would week. love to preview next I'm week. I'm always excited about next um, week. <laughs> yeah, me too. Next week's category is The Artist Struggle. Ooh, can you Common story. Artists love to tell stories about themselves. Ugh, they love, love all the, the musicals struggle. about the process of writing a musical. Um, so we're going to be discussing two shows that really dive into what it's like to be a struggling artist. I do. I'm so excited. Me too. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. You can, we haven't been doing this. You can follow us on Twitter at Rate Debate One and Instagram and everywhere else, TikTok, whatever, at Rate Debate Recreate. So get out there. Please follow us. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye.